0: Hello, my name is Brandon Boat, and you are listening to the Theater of Public Policy podcast. Our show today looks at workforce retention in Minnesota. So specifically, we're looking at why people of color come to Minnesota. Uh, They're attracted to different job opportunities and positions, but then they end up leaving within five years. We can't seem to keep people. So what are the reasons That they're coming here initially, but then why are they leaving? Why do they decide not to stay here and put down roots or start a family, etc.? They end up moving back or going someplace else. Um, A lot of this uh, conversation comes from a study that uh, Make It Minneapolis and St. Paul commissioned to find out uh, a lot of these ideas. And uh, we were fortunate to have uh, one of the people that helped uh, develop the survey and then analyze its results. Dr. Janine Sanders-Jones, who's an Associate Professor of Operations and Supply Chain Management at the University of St. Thomas. We had a second guest as well, uh, John Hardy, who is the Manager of Field and Diversity and Inclusion at Best Buy, and also uh, considers himself somewhat of an unofficial Twin Cities ambassador as he travels around uh, promoting Minnesota, um, giving different talks and speaking and interacting. He's a big Minnesota cheerleader, but he also acknowledges that uh, we have some problems and Uh, there's things that we can do better with. So yeah, it's a wide ranging conversation, um, that gets at a problem because, uh, Minnesota is going to have a 100,000, uh, person deficit for jobs that need to be filled by 2020. Uh, so that's not too far away. And that's a lot of people, uh, that we need for unfilled positions. So it's a very important conversation and it seems like, uh, there's a lot that we can do about it. Um... Before we get to that, just a quick mention of our sponsors. Uh, our media sponsor this season is MinPost, which provides region supported news and analysis. You can find out more information at MinPost.com. Also, our entire season uh, was supported by the Minnesota Arts and. Uh, our season this year was supported by the Legacy Amendment, as well as the Minnesota Regional Arts Council. Uh, we greatly appreciate the support they provided for this season. And that's everything. Uh, so I hope you enjoyed the interview. Thanks.
1: Thank you both so much for being here. Um Thank you. I'm, of course. Uh, I'm super uh, – this has been a conversation I've been really interested in having on the show for uh, quite a while because it's this intersection of – uh, social pressures and business concerns and uh, a lot of data and research and uh, just all kinds of sticky things. Uh, so so let's just sort of start maybe by setting the stage. Uh, you helped conduct a study yes. about mm, where the Twin Cities in Minnesota is in terms of attracting and retaining professionals of color mm-hmm. um, and folks generally. I mean, how did that come about in the first place? Who was the first one or who came to you and said, we need to do a study on this? <laughs> uh, as much as Minnesota loves studies. Um, so <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um,
2: Well, the Make It MSP organization was already doing this work, so I signed on as a contractor with them. And so they were um, interested in understanding more about um, why professionals of color stay or leave, um, particularly because uh, when we look at the statistics... The Twin Cities um, the Twin Cities regions number one in retaining white professionals and number 14 when tr- retaining professionals of color. Uh, and when we uh, no the, I was it, just gonna
1: pause so we should like unpack those those right. terms even so I, I attract means what and retain means what.
2: Okay so we're actually really good at attracting people here because of jobs um, because the Twin Cities has a very vibrant job market. Um, and even the research that we've seen, people acknowledge the fact that there are jobs here. People, um, You can have a very nice career here. They, um, people feel like they don't necessarily have to leave here um, to progress in their career. But there's something about the ability to actually retain our professionals of color. Um, and then what we've seen is if we can get them rooted here, married, buy a house, have some kids, no. <laughs> They're more likely to stay. <laughs> Here's a fun
3: fact. Yeah. If you can get professionals of color to have children here, they go from number 14 on that list to number two for retention. Yeah. So that just kind of speaks to what it means to have a tie here. What is yeah. –
1: rete- I, I, just, I mean, in very – practical. how did you – what did retention mean? Did it mean that you stayed here for at least 10 years, 20 years? Or?
2: So, I mean, <laughs> when you look at retention, specifically in the survey – we asked about um, how likely are you to remain in this area within the next five years. That's specifically what we looked at in the survey.
1: Okay, and um, and you say that we're very good at attracting folks, mm-hmm. from our, our, which, I, I, again, I think some people uh, might find that surprising because we think about – you know, uh, the folks that we compete with maybe. And we just had a show last week with uh, the head of the Minneapolis Regional Chamber of Commerce and whatnot, and he talked about that, you know, we're competing Mm -hmm. with places like Denver and Seattle and Mm -hmm. uh, even Boston and New York in some ways. Um, And everyone says, oh, it's cold there, and uh, it's, um, you know, it's in the middle of flyover country and whatnot, but that wasn't what you found in terms of...
2: No, that's not what we found. So we actually asked um, our professionals of color who took the survey, and we had over 1,200 responses, um, we asked them if they had said that they were not likely to stay here. We asked them why. Why, are basically, are you leaving? And it had nothing, I want to say nothing to do with weather. Weather was like number four or five. Um, the top reason was the lack of diversity and cultural awareness in the area. And that was the reason why, m- the main reason. So we asked them to give us a list of different reasons so they could check as many as they wanted. And then we asked them to select the most important reason. And for many people, the most important reason was that lack of diversity and cultural awareness.
1: You were going to jump in? Actually, she just now. Oh, sorry. perfect. Good. <laughs> uh, that's good. Um, so uh, so this, uh, I struggle with it because it seems like a chicken and egg problem to some mm-hmm. degree, right? So it folks are saying, uh, I, I don't want to stay because there isn't the community here, mm-hmm. but there'll never be the community here if people, don't, people stay. don't stay.
2: Hence why we're here. <laughs>
3: <laughs> that, this is not an easy yes, problem. By right. no means do we have answers, and I think we want to make okay, sure. Okay, well, that's that, our
1: <laughs> show, everyone. Clear Thanks for right. coming. Have a good uh, night, y'all. Thanks for coming out. Uh, so, what, well, let's talk a little bit about that. So what, when people say that, you know, they're missing uh, the community or, or that there's not uh, the network potentially here, mm-hmm. what does that actually look like? What did people talk about that, that, how that manifests or, or comes about?
2: Yeah, so from the survey perspective, um, there we split the survey into um, kind of aspects around living in the MSP area versus working in the MSP area. And the reason why is because they're not mutually exclusive. People bring their whole selves to work now, but also we have to make sure that um, what we call that five to nine time after work and that weekend time that people feel like they have things to do that, that are satisfying the, the need that they have. Um, and so from a... From a cultural perspective, what we found with living in the MSP is, one, cultural-specific amenities that people felt like some of those were lacking. Such Um, as?
3: So nightlife. If you think about places where people can socialize, right? If you're a professional of color in a corporation, chances are you're going to see very few people like you at most levels, especially at leadership, right? So there's no aspiration there. Um, When I want to leave the organization, I'm looking for pockets in which I can plug in and find people are part of my community. But oftentimes, organizations who move people here, transplants is kind mm-hmm. of specific to this research, um, they end up in Burnsville or they end up in Minnetonka, right? And they're completely disconnected from the actual local communities, which, by the way, is another issue here, because we're talking about class and economic gaps between our local communities of color mm-hmm. and our transplants who are um, well-to-do, middle, upper-middle income, Um, professionals right so there's a lot of places where there's this huge disconnects and I believe that if we solve for the local issues with diversity and inclusion specifically education we talk about economics home ownership comes up in this survey Mm -hmm. um, you're going to get people that want to stay because if I plug in I'm going to see a community who's already here who's already thriving I mean just like any company your best retention model is to see other people in the room who look like you and they're happy too
2: or to even just see people that look like you. I mean, let's be real. Baseline. Okay, Baby steps. They slant. Uh, okay, right. And because, like, you know, I always <laughs> say, like, I can go to Chili's in Roseville, and most of the time it's probably just my family in there that's a person of color in general sometimes. oh in no general. of color, of yeah, color. Of i was, color. was like oh, oh that right. right. is not doing right. well um so. <laughs> are you keeping them in Pittsburgh? Yeah. so it's like that um, representation yeah. piece that you know sometimes you, you you just want to kind of see people that look like you then you know to share the same experiences and things like that um so that cultural specific piece um is important having places where people can gather and connect and that's the other thing that we saw is that people found like found that it was difficult to connect with people here now we know that that's not necessarily only a professional of color problem in minnesota <laughs> okay we know that um but you could think about how that could be heightened um as a professional of color so yes you know we, we always talk about the joke about the cabin yeah quick show
3: of hands how many people go to cabins on a semi regular basis in the room don't be embarrassed. We, to can't, admit it. we can't. We
1: can't. see just, the audience. We, we'll we don't just necessarily want to come. Ninety-five yeah. uh, yeah, percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: It's it's an ongoing conversation. <laughs> it's like an inside joke almost that professionals of color, especially transplants. Uh, never get to go up to the cabin for the weekend. So when we share our stories on Monday morning at work, um, we're having very different conversations.
2: Because everybody's gone to the cabin. Everybody's and gone we to have the it. cabin. In the summertime.
3: <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, the fishing's great. I wouldn't know. Up north.
1: <laughs> oh, I I don't have a cabin, but all of a sudden I have this impulse to, like, want to invite you to a, a cabin that you I don't should. have. You
3: should. In fact, um, 30 professionals of color this past weekend got together, and we went to a cabin that we rented because we wanted to defy those norms. <laughs> we wanted to
1: have an experience. Yeah. So did you go back on Monday then and you, like with white people standing around be like, the cabin was great? Yes, there. I okay. did.
3: I did. I had Facebook photos to prove it.
1: Yeah. That's, okay. um, so I, this piece, this is part of why I was so interested in this topic. It's so sticky because it's not uh, – I, I, and I want to circle back to some of what you were talking about, John, in terms of the, the investments in the community and whatnot. But a lot of this seems like it, it's a social, cultural piece, both in terms of um, – the fact that folks are coming from a lot of different places around the country or around the world, but then also we know that you know Minnesota has sometimes a reputation of being, um, you know, I'm trying to think of the nicest way to say this, and I'm not enough of a Minnesotan to know the nicest way to say this. It's, a tale, of, it's a tale of two cities. Yeah,
3: yes. and it's yes. not St. Paul and Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about It's experiences.
1: Exper- yeah. So, well, unpack that for us. Like, what, what do you say more about what you mean by that?
3: Well, you know, you can look at the graduation gap. You can look at the income gap, which in Minnesota for whites and blacks is worse than in Mississippi. So, for instance, um, yeah, I know, right? It sounds crazy. Everybody's like, "Wow, blacks make about."
1: Surprised how often we end up dumping on Mississippi in this show, but um, (laughs) sorry, go ahead. Um,
3: Professionals of color, specifically black communities, make about thirty-seven percent on average of what their white counterparts make in Minnesota. Right. We're talking about yeah. huge yeah. unemployment gaps, yes. we're, going, we're, talk, we're talking gaps. triple the gap between those communities, and um, we're not even talking about rural Minnesota, which has its own unique challenges um, around culture.
1: Yeah.
2: And I was going to say, and you think about it, particularly if you're talking about professionals of color who are transplants here, a lot of times we are coming from, you know, major cities um, and probably have had various different experiences, have moved maybe several times across the country. and. You know, sometimes then we're working with people who have only grown up in Minnesota. Not to say there's anything wrong if you've only grown up in Minnesota. They went. To, they went, they were from they're, fine, from. they're from. They're from Faribault. It's whatever. They, <laughs> no. they went to Saint Olaf.
3: <laughs> you know, they end up at a predominantly white organization, nonprofit, family foundation, yeah. corporation. They go to move to Eden Prairie. And at no point in time did they have any cultural immersion outside of their own experiences.
1: So this is really, because, so you're a transplant. You were mm-hmm. born and raised in Minnesota, correct? North Minneapolis, North yeah, Minneapolis. Yeah. So I'm curious, do you, have you all talked, do you find your experiences different? Or that there's, there's differences uh, in your experiences as being a transplant and being someone who's been here your whole life?
3: Well, I'll speak to that from a connectivity standpoint, right? Because we talk about the number one reason why people stay is because of connection. Mm -hmm. And the number one reason people leave is because of lack of connection, right? Lack of awareness, like these things that are are huge gaps. If you're from here, if you're a quote-unquote native to Minneapolis, um, you've already established several communities by the time that you're in your young adulthood, right? But if you're transplanting you're trying to break into that, um, we know how cliquish aspects of Minnesota can be. I'm sure that permeates every group here. I don't know what that is exactly, but... Um, I have found from dozens and dozens, countless conversations with folks who have just spent so much time trying to break into a friend circle and they just can't find it. And that's because people have already exhausted the capacity for friends or they're just too busy by the time they have professional mm. lives and children and just they don't have the time to hang out anymore. And people just can't find that genuine long-term deep connection.
2: And as a transplant, you have to be really active in trying to do that. So, like, when I first moved here, I got involved with the National Black MBA Association, and it was through there that I developed some friendships, but Hmm. they were, my immediate first friendship circle were all transplants, Hmm. because we were all seeking the same thing, friendship.
1: And, (laughs) I mean, and this might not be something, uh, I don't know if your research touched on this, but is that something that's unique or or that Minnesota is particularly uh, challenged with I've heard sort of this everyone's just nodding I mean I've heard the sort of uh, my best example of this I had a a friend uh, a person of color who moved from the south and he talked about that when he moved to Minnesota somebody said to him oh you should come by for dinner sometime and so then like a week later he did he just showed up for dinner and they were terrified (laughs) they were they were like what is happening why are you at my house and he said, you know, where he grew up um, in, in the South, you could do stuff could like do that. that. Yeah. And that was a really big culture shift. So I'm wondering, is there something that we're I don't know, more formal or were more distant or
3: what is it here? I think that's a really big question. Um, I would say that there are some macro cultural contexts, right? Like we are in Minnesota and we know who migrated to Minnesota in the 1800s. There's a lot of Christian, there's a lot of Lutheran folks here, there's a lot of um, less assertive cultures in terms of interacting with cu- spaces outside. That's just been my experience, and I'm from here. I can, I can say that confidently. Um, <laughs> and I wouldn't say that there's anything except for the fact that there's so few of us to begin with that there's just not enough get through the no's to get to the yeses, right? So it's like, I need to be able to run into people on a regular basis to find connection. It can't just be few and far between. Especially as we talk about like the dating pool, right? Like that's a whole other thing. That's a whole other. The question. number one um, <laughs> piece of feedback that came out of some of this research was dating is like super crucial, right? That is like a make or break for so many professionals of color, and they leave for that very reason.
2: That's why a lot of like when we look at the data, um, the people who are more likely to leave um, black, single
0: no children, <laughs>
2: been here less than seven years. So you can think about the single folks are basically more likely to leave. And part of the the reason, I mean, we did ask a question around dating, but um, I mean, if you talk to people, if you just talk to some of our professionals of color who are younger in the younger demographic, they'll talk about how difficult it is to find a mate here and they are ready to leave because of that. But that's why if we can get them married,
1: it's so. And can I? Kids. But we need
3: more nightlife <laughs> amenities. Right. Right. So they go I'm all just. Comes, it, yeah. It's
1: like I know. Make it MSP is a professional organization. Have you thought about starting a dating app? Like, I've been, been
3: talking. Is Matt in the room? That's in the room somewhere. I see you over there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> hey, there you are. Yeah. Um. We've been talking about that kind of informally. If anybody has any coding experience and mobile apps, can talk to me <laughs> after the uh, presentation. Let's get this going because seriously, it's a gold mine.
2: And I think people have been trying to figure that out. So you do see pockets of people who are trying to to create space for connection. And, you know, either by having some sort of events, um, getting together for happy hours, having some cultural events or something like that, um, just trying to find that space where people can actually connect with one another. And if they happen to have a love connection that happens, that's great, too.
1: <laughs> so uh, I want to circle back to maybe somewhere uh, we could have started, which is, this question of, you know, uh, why is this so important? And I, I think that there's a lot of answers to that, but um, I'm, I'm wondering if you could each speak mm-hmm. a little bit to both, why is this important, obviously on, on a human personal uh, level, but then also for the region and the, mm-hmm. the Twin Cities
2: generally? Um, I can speak, you know, from a regional perspective. We know that we're going to have a lot of retirements um, coming in the next, you know, 10 to 15 years, and we also know that if we have an exodus of people <laughs> that have the skills to fill these gaps, and we're seeing an increase in, in jobs as well, we're going to have this gap in employment. And so for businesses, this is a critical issue for them on how do they retain people in the workforce here. Um, and so there are several initiatives that Make It MSP is working on. Um, this just has to be the one focused on professional of color. But for organizations, um, the regional businesses, this is an important talent issue for them, and which is why they are um, investing in this organization to understand what the research is and to gather the data. We've heard all these anecdotes, and, you know, HR departments have heard all the anecdotal stories and things like that, but now we have data to back it up and to help us maybe uh, understand and maybe create some strategies, and that's what the Make It MSP team is trying to and do. And heard- it's been
3: said that by 2020, we're going to have 100,000-person shortage for the jobs that will be here in 2020.
1: In the- In the MSP region. region. So
3: if you think about that, and we can't retain professionals of color. Oh, and by the way, this region is expected to be one-third people of color by 2030. right? So how are we going to fill those gaps? We have to attract and retain. Yeah.
1: So uh, we've already, uh, uh, I should say, in the second half of the show, we open it up to all of you for your questions of our guests. So please start thinking about those. But uh, as we're sort of wrapping up this first half, uh, we've talked about at least one strategy to try and address this, which is basically to just uh, pair everyone off and uh, have them get pregnant. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So that could solve the problem. Uh, Other things that (laughs) folks are doing beyond that.
3: Yeah. Um, Well, people are starting to be the change that they want to see in the world and starting their own informal groups. I mean, there's a couple routes, right? You can take uh, resource groups within organizations, for instance. That's a great connection point. If you have anybody who's moving into the region and they're trying to find some connection, at least if it's in the workspace, right? A lot of companies have resource groups. A lot of nonprofits and so forth are involved with communities uh, like the Nishimbas or the Prospanica, if you will, where, like, communities of professionals of a certain background can find commonality. Also, there's these informal groups that are popping up. You can go online and find meetups. You can find Facebook groups. Mm-hmm. There's GroupMe accounts. The one that I mentioned is Cabin Trip last weekend. It's 130 professionals of color, specifically uh, black folks from around the world, around the country, who um, who've moved to Minnesota and are trying to find that connection. And Instead of like searching and going to bars every night, which is a terrible idea, um, <laughs> they found each other and they're hanging out and they're planning events and they're coordinating... Wedding showers and things like that for folks who, you know, are staying in the city. Which and
1: helps with our first priority. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's
3: a <laughs> chain of events.
2: Yeah. yeah. And then you have the uh, Make It MSP Mingles, where you have professionals of color coming ac- coming together from various different organizations. Um and you have people that are doing things at work, you know, maybe doing some more initiatives about trying to recognize talent because that's an issue as well, um, you know, for people of color to see diverse leadership, which in the survey they said they did not in organizations. And so, how do you, you know, think, you know, how do you feel about staying here if you look in your organization and you don't see people who are reflective of you? Um, you're gonna again go someplace where you do. So issues like that being addressed.
1: Uh, I- Thank you so much. Can we do a big round of applause? We're going to bring our guests back in the second half of the show. But for now, we'll take our seats in the audience. So um, I'm going to start coming out for your questions. One thing that I didn't announce at the top amongst my many announcements uh, was that uh, you might have noticed we have uh, these lovely pieces of art throughout the, uh, the theater, and these are created every show. We have a different guest artist with us Uh so our cast is live interpreting what uh, the guests have talked about, and then we have a guest artist who is live interpreting what that's uh, all happening. And so tonight uh, we're joined uh, by Mr. Taylor Payton. So big round. He's right here in the front. And so um, very excited. So uh, uh, please take a look at a couple of the other pieces that we've had before you leave, and then at the end of the show tonight uh, we'll bring up what uh, Taylor has created for us. So By local. Uh, By local. Good, yes, exactly. If you have a question, though, please raise your hand. I will race towards you in a non threatening manner, I promise. So, uh, (laughs) over on that side, and then I'll come over. Well, I'll come. You're very convenient. So, I'm going to just do this first.
0: So, back to the chicken and egg situation, given that there's not enough professionals
2: of color for the professionals to be able to socialize and connect with each other, is there anything that us what Norwegians can do in the meantime to kind of facilitate the situation? Yes. yes. <laughs> okay, next question. I, 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 would, I would say,
3: I, I would say um, two, two things. First is the importance of allies to communities of color mm. is extremely important. And that's not to say that you have to be in spaces of color trying to evangelize the work, but you need to be amongst those who are indifferent to the conversation of difference, right? You need to encourage spaces around you to get cultural agility training, right? Things like unconscious bias, you know, our brains are 95% subconscious all the time. So the decisions that you make about hiring, promotion, coaching, firing, becoming friends with somebody, partnering with somebody, disrespecting somebody, all comes down to the things that you've internalized. So if you can help your peers get coached on their biases, That's a huge first step that organizations are taking to crack through some of this work. But it's only the first step.
2: I think also, um, like if we were looking in the workplace setting, for example, just acknowledging that the experiences of professionals of color might be slightly different in your organization than for others. Um, And, again, it could be because of cultural bias. You know, it could be something as simple As that it could be then it could be something that somebody doesn't even they're not even aware that they're doing that is making someone of color feel uncomfortable Um, and so I think it is it goes back to that unconscious bias that we have but also not um, stereotyping all professionals of color. I mean, we've kind of talked about them as a group, but we're not a monolithic group. And so it could be that you have someone who comes into your organization who loves to run, for example. Well, invite them to the running club. You don't always have to say, well, would you like to join the Asian employee <laughs> research group? Or would you like to join the African-American employee resource group? I mean, you know, get. I would say what we've talked about is getting to know someone authentically is where a lot of this can start from. Get to know what their likes and dislikes, where they're from, their history, their story. And that can help to bring down some of those barriers.
3: Last, very last comment is, if you look at the representation in the audience today, for instance, invite a friend who's across a difference from you.
1: Yes, please. Um, <laughs> just invite a friend generally. But um, <laughs> but yes, uh, yes, very that much too, to your yes. point. Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I have a question over here, yes. Yeah.
0: I, I just want to say, first of all,
4: my white friend invited me, so I'm the other Puerto Rican here. But, um, <laughs>
3: maybe. Yeah, um, maybe.
1: Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. My question has to do with, um, in most organizations, people tend to mentor the people that look like themselves. And the, the built-in problem here is that the folks who are in the position to mentor tend to be not reflective mm-hmm. of diversity. So I'm curious what your thoughts I, I think connection is a big thing in terms yeah. of personal relationships and babies and things. But yeah. could you talk yeah. a little bit about this mentoring dilemma?
2: Yeah, one of the things that we saw in the study, because we asked about like workplace, diversity inclusion efforts, professional development was another thing that came out and representation. And so, you know, we talk about if people recognize that there's you know, you could have a very vibrant career here, then there were less number of people who felt like they understood or knew what the career path was, and then even less number of people who saw diverse leaders. And so, um, you know, we've kind of talked about uh, how do you get people to even understand what the career path is and to, to get them on that career path. And of course, if we don't, if people don't see themselves reflected in the leadership, or if we don't have a very diverse leadership in our organizations around here, and that goes for government, nonprofit, education, you know, for profit. Um, then it then we have to figure out how can we create those connections between people. And it doesn't have to be, you know, I don't have to be mentored by an uh, African-American female, you know, at my institution. I just have to be mentored by somebody who takes the time to recognize the strengths that I have, who can also help me understand the, the issues or challenges I may have and help me work on that as well. So at that point, that's not based upon race or gender or sexuality or anything like that. That's about, again, that authentic connection with me to help me understand how do I get on that career path. And I think that's what we need for our diverse individuals in these organizations, for someone at a higher level to see them authentically for who they are.
3: And that goes back, I really believe, to creating immersive experiences for people. You know, everybody deserves to be safe, but nobody deserves to be comfortable. You know, because there's no growth in the comfort zone and there's no comfort in a growth zone. So if you're comfortable, you should read that as a bad sign. So you know, one of the most cheap ways within an organization to grow talent is mentorship, right? But you need to make sure the leaders have a mindset for leadership across difference, because your experience might not be as helpful to me if you can't translate it into my experience, right? So mm-hmm. mentoring is cheap. It's free in a lot of situations. I mean, it's a crucial first step, but again, it's that cross-cultural connection piece and cultural agility and competency that's really necessary.
2: And, like, to go on that, like, I I read an article, I think it was in the Star Tribune re- recently, but I think it was Minnehaha Academy, and they were having students do cultural emo- immersions just in other people's homes. Mm-hmm. Okay? It's that simple, right? <laughs> um, if you have an experience, you know, a lot of experience with, say, Hispanic or Latino, Latinx, then maybe you can find a connection. You know, they'll invite you to your home, into their home, try some of their food, learn some about their traditions. You don't even have to leave Minneapolis sometimes to get the cultural immersion that at least can give you a start to understanding someone's point of view.
3: Do y'all remember when uh, Minnesotans for All Families helped Minnesota become a place where LGBTQ community could get married? Right, That policy and that, that project failed in 32 states prior to Minnesota because they were talking about facts and, and laws and things that were like not empathetic human connection pieces. But in Minnesota, the campaign shifted, and they talked about who do you know personally? Who do you connect with? And that made the difference in making Minnesota a more equal state.
1: Okay, it, we've connection. Got, uh, we got a few more questions. If you have questions up in the risers, please raise your hand now so that I see you and I will raise your How do you think uh, companies and uh, municipalities are
3: doing in Minnesota to promote increased diversity as opposed to other cities around the country? I think we talk a great game. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Coming from a big organization, I know that intent doesn't always line up with impact, right? So we mean really well. We play strategic investments. We go out to certain communities. Um, But at the end of the day, uh, we still have these massive gaps. And within organizations, we talk about diversity and inclusion. And oftentimes people think those are interchangeable, right? But diversity is creating a mix, and inclusion is making that mix function really well and getting all voices represented. And within a company, uh, diversity is really a function of recruiting. But once you get people in the door, they figure out there's no inclusion, so they're gone again. So really, the, you need to tackle the cultural problem of inclusion before you tackle the problem of diversity in order to ba- build momentum in this space. Does that, in part, kind of get to that question?
2: Cool. And the study actually shows that as well, that um, people felt like their organizations cared about diversity and inclusion, but that the efforts that they were putting forth were not effective. So it's like they're, you know, they have these different employee resource groups and they have these d- different months You know celebrations and you know things like that and they're hiring diverse individuals um, but it's the inclusion piece um, that that people were feeling like was missing and so um, again that goes down to that being authentic you know you can have in a program in an organization but if you don't have the right people at the table who are helping out with that program um, it comes off as not being sincere Um, And so that that it's very important. And, I mean, I think there are probably some organizations that are better at it. There are going to be some cities that are probably better at it. Um, But it also goes back to having diverse individuals in the leadership roles who can – and having people
1: accountable. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I've got a couple of questions here that I want to get to. But I was very – I do want to push on this a little bit in asking what is the – pushback that you all have gotten when you've taken some of these messages to places both maybe explicit and implicit
3: okay here's one out the gate Mm -hmm. um a lot of people in the recruiting space for instance right that's the doorway into an organization they say well you know we don't want to necessarily factor in diversity because um they were lowering our bar that's essentially what they're saying we're lowering our bar for talent like you know Obviously, you should go hire the most qualified candidates for your work, but you might not find walleye at Bass Lake, yeah. right? So are you fishing in the right spaces? Are you mm-hmm. casting a wide enough net to find talent that's different? And that's, that's, a, huge, that's a huge problem.
2: And they, or they'll say they, they can't find talent. They don't know where to look. Um, that happens sometimes in the higher education space. And I'm like, well, I can give you a few organizations if you really want to know where to look. Um, or they'll just assume that professionals of color don't want to move here because of the weather. And we Which know only
3: 11% of people in the survey right. found statistically significant yeah. to them.
1: Okay, yeah. so I've got one here and then another one down in the front.
4: I was just curious if the survey included... Uh, spiritual or religious communities and engagement there as part of people staying, just because those have historically been where cultural specificity is more respected?
2: Yeah, the, the only question that we really asked about was um, levels of engagement in various different types of organizations. So we asked about um, religious organizations, organizations, um, we asked about, you know, the organizations that, like, your kids might be involved in. Basically, trying to get an understanding of the network, um, and, and honestly, I can't remember what the correlation between that was. But what we were starting to see is, even from, um, like, kids' organizations or religious organizations, if you can get people to get, you know, to be rooted here, those avenues serve as bases of connections for people. So, you know, if they're looking to connect. Um, with like-minded people, they might go to some sort, to a church or to a synagogue or something like that. Um, What we did find is that people felt like it was difficult to find individuals who had similar values and similar interests.
1: So I, I have to say, uh, somebody very rightfully called uh, us out on the fact that we had tonight's show about diversity and inclusion on the first night of Passover. So I very much apologize for that uh, oversight. Um, uh, if it makes any difference, we're having a show on Easter Monday as well. Uh, so, <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs>
4: our school is off on Easter Monday. So. <laughs> So right now in the, is it the House, I think, that there is the, the uh, minority um, uh, speaker uh, of the House of Representatives is being asked to apologize for naming that a group of white men were playing yeah. cards while women of color were testifying on, mm-hmm. a, on an important bill. I am curious, what do you think about when we will get, I'm really, I have a bias towards institutional change. I'm interested in dismantling white supremacy. I'm wondering when and how, I mean, even in the language, right, cultural agility training, I feel like there's a way that we have to be creative and agile and naming. I feel like we can, you know, in Minnesota, you can say people of color a little bit more now without everybody, you know, tensing up and, and stopping uh, their breath. Oh, well. But I'm wondering about whiteness. <laughs> I'm wondering about whiteness, and and when do you think, and and, you know, so anyway, just Mm. your thoughts on that.
3: You you know, a lot of companies are starting to talk about this, and in fact, in the most progressive conferences that are taking place around the country, whiteness and white privilege is being addressed more formally by organizations, because we realize that um, it's just this thing that most people deny, and they don't... And they get defensive. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, when we do diversity and inclusion trainings, we no longer are talking about race and class and these things to begin with. Like, that's like the 401, right? Like, the right. 101 is like, what's your work style difference? Like, did you, did you grow up on the West Coast or did you grow up in the South? Like, and we, and we find commonalities to bridge around so they can see why difference matters and why my side you should appreciate it and why your side you should appreciate it. But, um, you know, that is just a monster of a topic within any corporation. And we're trying to get after that right now. We're working uh, with a few folks internally to have racial justice conversations at the corporate level, right? But that's, we gotta package that right, right? Because Mm -hmm. we know who's at the top of the house. Well,
2: and, oh, go ahead. And I was gonna say, I mean, when we think about it, people of color have been dealing with this issue for a long time, and we've been fighting (laughs) this issue for a long time, and it really takes, not us, (laughs) Allies. It, it really takes um, our white counterparts to really stand up, and not it's and it's not personal, but stand up and just acknowledge that yes, there are institutional barriers that have existed, that have unfairly impacted people of color. Period. We can't ignore it. Okay. No, we know we don't have slavery anymore, but we have the ramifications. Of things like that, the ramifications of certain banking policies that made it difficult for people of color to get loans and to get homes and therefore build wealth. Which is why, if you start to look at the research, why why the the various minority commit communities are so far behind when it comes to wealth building. Okay, it's not to lay blame, but it's just to acknowledge that yes, there have been institutional issues that have created these gaps that we're seeing even here in Minnesota, you know, It's and it's not to throw it on a certain group to say you didn't work hard enough, okay, because maybe they were trying to work hard enough, but there were other things that were pushing them down.
1: Well, and this is one of the reasons I find the work that you all are doing and, and where this comes from so interesting and, and so important is because I think that there have been a lot of folks in um, in different spaces really uh, pushing and advocating for this. What feels somewhat new, at least to me, is this idea that there's a business community that's like, it, to some degree, pushing some of this mm-hmm. and trying to at least invite or open up some of these conversations. And maybe, you know, we can, there's elements to critiquing, we wish they were going farther in certain ways, but it, does that feel different or is that a step? How, how do you sort of manage that being maybe a step in the right direction
3: and also wanting to push farther? You know, packaging the, the conversation in relationship to business is really important to understand your audience, right? So if I'm standing in front of my general managers at Best Buy, because I go around and I do a lot of trainings around the country for our general manager group, I'll tell them that if you got your bottom 25% of your stores to behave like your top 25% of your stores behaviorally, it's a $50 million incremental difference to our business. Now, in a retailer, how much product do you have to sell to convert $50 million to bottom line? At a 10% margin, that's half a billion dollars worth of goods, right? That immediately gets them saying, okay, well, I care now, right? I can tell you that from a stockholder perspective, um, companies in the top 50 rankings will outpace their industry by between 10 and 80% in terms of financial performance. Okay, now they're listening. Right, it's, it's those things, understanding your audience is so critical to advance this conversation from a business perspective. Because if you can grab onto something that they care about, they might not care about kumbaya, and that's how they perceive mm-hmm. it. But they care about financial impact when we're counting growth. Well, and, and I
1: don't uh, want to put words in your mouth, but it, it seems like maybe part of this question is, well, are you still playing within these parameters of an unfair game to some degree then? Or uh, is it more complex or... or uh, is there, is there some element to that where it's like, well, even by just trying to speak this particular language, you're sort of sacrificing something to begin with? I think it's understanding
3: I, the game and winning the game yeah. that's key. Because trying to go outside of the rules, oh, they just call you out of bounds. Right? If, if I'm playing basketball and I, I catch the ball and I'm past that line, I'm past that line. You get the ball back. But if I know the game really well, I can articulate myself within the confines of the game, up my percentage of shots attempted and scored – and all of a sudden, now we're winning all the games. And now we're moving the agenda forward.
2: And then it also takes external pressure as well, right? Pressure from the customers. We just saw that with Pepsi, OK? I mean, what Did a everybody f- see the Pepsi a- commercial, by the by way? What a fail, right? And had they just somehow, I've read articles, because I'm a business professor, so I'm reading articles like, how did this happen? Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and all these articles, like, w- where were the diverse voices or the conscious voices that would have said, mm, you, you might not It's as wanna. if nobody
3: watched TV for, like, yeah. three years. it it's, didn't see a protest.
2: And then they weren't the only ones. I think it was Nivea had some crazy ad that came out, too. Um, yeah, whiteness is pure or something, they said. Oh. And, and that was, like, the next day. And so, um, it, and yeah, their lotion is white, but yeah,
1: yeah. it's... St- All lotion is <laughs> white. Right? All lotion is white. But-, <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> but it was, but it's kind of like you start to think, like, where are the diverse or professionals of color who, it didn't did necessarily have to be a professional of color, but where were the diverse, divi- diverse voices that would have said you may not. (laughs) Or even showing it to diverse audiences enough, because they always test market their ads, but obviously you didn't have enough diversity in your test market.
3: (laughs) The same things happen here locally, right? If you think about how we plan our pride parade in Minnesota, you have communities of color who are LGBTQ who have told you, you're not including us at all at the table for planning, even though Um, queer people of color, trans communities, women have kind of created that movement, right? So we have those same gaps here. Just Mm -hmm. why do you miss the fact that you should have people at your table?
1: So uh, we're coming up at time, and so I want to just have this last question, which is just, uh, and folks have sort of asked this in different ways, but uh, folks in this audience, uh, whether they're going back to their workplaces or they're just going home or whatever, what? What is sort of, you know, one of the things that they should do? And maybe it's not even a thing they should do. Maybe it's a thing they should think about or a question they should ask. What what should we take home with us?
2: I think one of the things is to kind of examine your friendship network and examine your network at work and see how similar everyone is and see or see how diverse it is. And if you can really kind of say, like, you know, a I'm not really exposed or don't know a lot about different cultures, then challenge yourself to, to, to do that. Um, if you've never been in a situation where you've been the minority, because we do this with our students sometimes, we have them go someplace where they're in a minority. So as a male, maybe they'll go somewhere where it's all female. It's just, you know, experience something different. And really try to, to to learn from that. Talk to people. Talk to people about their stories. And you'll what you'll start to find is that we have more commonality than we really think we do.
3: I mean that's that's number one right there, which you said. I would add on, uh, don't be colorblind. No. Be color brave. Has anybody heard that expression? Look up a TED talk by Melody Hobson. She'll walk you through it. 18 mm-hmm. minutes it's worth your time. Um, you can't avoid these conversations within your organizations, within your house, um, with your friends. If you, every, all your friends look like you, that's, that's kind of problematic in 2017. I mean, we live in one of the most diverse cities culturally, if you go find it. You know, we have a huge Somali population. We have a huge Hmong population. We have huge Latino population, a huge black population. If Some of y'all never been over North Minneapolis for any good reason, right? Yeah. I mean, come on. So let's, let's think about how we can just get out of our comfort zone.
1: On that uh, very brave, uh, important note, a big round of applause. Our two uh, fantastic...
0: Thank you for listening. This entire season was supported by the Metropolitan Regional Arts Council and the Legacy Amendment. This show was recorded live at the Bryant Lake Bowl in Minneapolis. If you'd like to see an upcoming show, you can find out more information by going to our website at www.t2p2.net. You can also find out about upcoming shows by finding us on social media, either on Facebook, Twitter, or signing up for our email list. We hope to see you sometime soon. Thanks.